we've been working our way through the book of Leviticus, which is uh, it's God's instructions for living uh, with him in, their, in the midst of the people of Israel uh, during the Exodus, uh, right? So they, it, we get to the end of the book of Exodus, and there's this, uh, suddenly we go into Leviticus, which is a book about uh, how to appropriately worship uh, and live with God in your midst. Uh, and then also uh, that there are uh, regulations for living, like how, how are we going to relate to one another, how are we going to talk to one another, how are we going to live in community uh, as the people of God. Um, and there are, uh, I always try to have like two or three kind of concepts or um, mottos uh, as we study each book, just so, uh, you know, as you're uh, living your Christian life, and somebody says, hey, I was reading Leviticus, what's that all about? You can say, be holy as I am holy is the theme, and holiness looks different. I would add a third, which is that holiness is difficult. It's difficult to be separate. Um, and we'll talk about that a bit uh, here in a moment. Um, we read uh, the first part of Leviticus a few weeks ago uh, in the first and second weeks, uh, and that portion was about how to be ritually pure, right? It, it was these instructions for the priesthood uh, and for everyday Israelites as they were living in this camp where God was in the tabernacle. Uh, how do you go into God's presence? How do you worship? It was the setup of what of the Levitical priesthood, so the Levites, which is why it's called Leviticus. Uh, and then uh, we, in the last couple of weeks, have talked about uh, what I'm calling the holiness code, and mostly is contained in Leviticus 19 and 20. Uh, and we were going through a list of um, commands about how to live in community with one another, and it starts off in Leviticus 19 with all these rules about who, who, uh, who to have sex with and who not to have sex with. So I'm glad everybody missed that. Um, it was very embarrassing for me. Uh, and then we, then we uh, but you know, it's all the obvious stuff. Uh, and then uh, we moved into uh, a, a series of rules for um, different, uh, different ways of living uh, or different rules for living, one of which was don't have mixed fabrics, uh, right? And we talked about kind of the reason for that. There are three last kind of pieces of that holiness code that I want to emphasize tonight, and then uh, we'll talk about the festivals that are set up in... in uh, chapter 23, and then we'll move to chapter 25, which sets up kind of the economic life uh, of uh, the children of Israel. And then finally, we can talk about kind of what did we learn from this? Like, what can we draw from Leviticus? So uh, turn your Bible, if you would, to Leviticus 20, uh, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5, which say, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Again, thou shalt say to the children of Israel, Whoever he be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel, that giveth any of his seed unto Molech, he shall surely be put to death. So Molech is a god that was worshipped by the Canaanites, um, the, the people whose land they were, they were moving into. He shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will set my face against that man and will cut, uh, will cut him off from among his people because he hath given of his seed unto Molech to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name. 
And if the people of the land do any do anyways hide their eyes from the man, when he giveth of his seed unto Molech, and kill him not, then I will set my face against that man and against his family, and will cut him off, and all that go whoring after him to commit whoredom with Molech from among their people. So th- this seems like a very obvious thing to us, right? Like, hey, don't don't sacrifice your children to the to a God that is, is different from... Don't sacrifice your children at all, but don't sacrifice your children to these, these foreign gods that are going to be in this nation that you're moving into or this land that you're moving into. Seems very obvious to us, but um, think of it... Um, I said last week that the, the core concept of holiness is that holiness is always... Um, pitted against something, right? Holiness means to be separate, means to be apart, uh, sanctified or, or uh, set apart for God. Um, so ask yourself, well, okay, set apart from what? Well, the what is the culture around you. Um, and in this part of the world at this particular time, it was an acceptable practice to, to sacrifice your children to, um, to the God that you worshiped. Um, which I, I would think that everybody here would think, oh, that's awful, right? But, and the Israelites thought it was awful as well because God told them to think it was awful. Um, but if you think about the rules, for instance, for sacrifice that we read in the first few weeks, right? It was like, uh, when you come to me to sacrifice, pick out your very best, right? Pick out the, the very best bull that you have, or the very best animal that you have, and that's what you sacrifice. Well, in the ancient mind, that, that would... What's the very best that you have as a family? Your firstborn, your firstborn son, right? So if you really wanted um, the blessing of the gods, you might, look to your, you might look to your son or daughter and say, well, I'm going to give them up as a sacrifice. God says don't do that. So um, verse 20, or, uh, chapter 20, verse 6. Uh, and the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards to go a whoring after them, I will even set my face against that soul and will cut him off from among his people. Um, so uh, what, what's going on here? Well, he's saying don't use these forms of divination or witchcraft or other ways of uh, interacting with spirits that... Uh, either get you wisdom or gain you knowledge of the future. Right? To, to the ancient mind, um, so C. Kevin Rowe, who's a, a, a scholar, he, he wrote a book called The Demon Haunted World. And in, he, he describes how in the ancient mind, right, to, to the people groups and even to the Israelites, the world was filled with many powers, that you might have to, to supplicate or you might have to, to make happy. Many gods and spirits, everything. The world was filled with supernatural spirits that you would have to appease in one way or another. Um, and and that's, that's the whole point of Sumerian religion, Babylonian religion, the religion of the people groups uh, that are in this place they're moving to is all about pleasing these spirits through sacrifices and through intermediary spirits, through what we would call demons. Um, And God says, I don't want you to try to access the spirit world through anything but me, right? Be be different than the people around you. There's no intermediary between me and you. Uh, Be different, right? Don't be like them. 
Uh, and then finally, uh, let's skip that one. Uh, do honor your parents, please, but don't. Uh, but we're not going to read the, the verse because I think we, we uh, labored over it last week. Ba- basically, um, we talked about um, the idea that what this reveals about God's concerns is God loves life, God loves order, and God loves sustainability. And the core of that is the family, right? So you start with honoring your father and mother at the very beginning of this holiness code, and that's how he ends it. Uh, in this section that begins with uh, chapter 20, verse 9. So, Richard, if you could go to the next slide. So, the next uh, set of verses is, uh, and we're not going to read all of these, uh, but he sets up this, this system of seven different festivals that organize the entire calendar year. Uh, and they are, well, I'm sorry, there are actually six, and then the Sabbath, right? He, he decrees the Sabbath, and we will read that passage. So chapter 23. Oh my goodness. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. And then he goes on. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their seasons. In the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. So um, the concept of Sabbath is unknown to anyone else in all of the world except for the Jews. The idea that you would not. In fact, that this was one of the big. Um, uh, this was one of the reasons that ancient people thought the Jews were strange. Uh, like we have Roman writing and, and Greek writing, where they they're like they don't work every day, um, and they they that was a, a, a criticism of the Jewish people. The other is that they were atheists because they didn't have idols. Um, which is, it seems strange to us, but to, to, um, to the Romans, if you were worshiping a god, that god had to be in an idol. Um, but they said they're not industrious, they're lazy, because uh, they take a whole day off um, during the whole week, or during the week. Uh, but notice how this mirrors the order of creation. We won't go back and read Genesis 1, but that's what God did, right? He worked six days, and then he rested and ruled um, and so this is a mirror uh, of how God acted. Um, so he's commanding them, be, be like me, right? Work six days and then uh, take, uh, what is it, Friday to Saturday? Oh, Friday. For the Jews, Sabbath is Friday. That's right. Friday sundown to, to Saturday sundown is their Sabbath. So, um, And then he goes on and he names these specific days of the year um, and talks about, uh, structuring them, or structuring the year around these festivals. And again, we're not going to talk about each one of these. Um, they know that they are, um, they are pilgrimage festivals in large part, which means you celebrate them in Jerusalem, right? You don't, you don't stay at home and, and uh, get gifts under your Feast of First Fruits tree or whatever and celebrate that with your family. Uh, everybody goes to Jerusalem, Right, to, 
to, well, everybody went to the tabernacle, and then later on, everybody went to Jerusalem to the temple to celebrate these. Uh, and th- there are reasons for that, right? Th- this is actually like 12 different people groups, right? 12 tribes, um, all with their different, own different interests, all competing with one another. And the reason to have a time when they all come, right? They all ascend up the mountain and go into Jerusalem is because it creates this sense of unity during these great festivals, right? It forges a nation out of 12 different people who might have competing interests. Uh, and in fact, when, when, uh, if we were to go to, to Kings or Chronicles, you would see that one of the things that the, uh, when the nation split into two and became Judah and Israel, so the northern and the southern kingdoms, one of the first things that the, the rebels up, up north did was create a shrine or a sanctuary in, Shiloh, or in uh, Bethel and then another one in Dan and said, everybody, everybody in our group can worship here. Right? Well, that's not what God said. Right? So worship where the ark is. Worship, worship in the temple. Um, so that's, that's an important part of the story is that these, these are uh, festivals that are meant to tie together the children of Israel, but also to remind them of their past. And so Passover, right, commemorates the, the, the day that, uh, the, right, the blood over the mantle in Exodus and the angel passes over them. The Feast of Booths, um, Sukkoth, uh, it's actually, the, it, it, they call it also the Feast of Tents. Everybody kind of went out and went out, cam- they went camping, like in their yard or wherever, uh, or in Jerusalem. Um, it's to commemorate the fact that you had that they had to live in tents when they were during the Exodus. That's that's the purpose of it. Um, so I'm not going to belabor that these too much, but know that that uh, one of the points I want to make at the end of this is that when you read Leviticus and you come away from it, what you understand is that God wants us to have a God-saturated view of life, right? A, 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 he wants us to to think about what it means to be separate, what it means to have relationship with him in every aspect of what we do. And that includes in how we structure our year, right? That's, that's the point uh, of, of, of these festivals is to, to create a set of touchstones throughout the year where uh, these people return again and again to each other and to um, the sanctuary uh, to reflect on who God is and what he's done for them. So let's turn finally uh, to... Leviticus 25, and we're going to read this whole chapter. It's super interesting. Uh, it is about, um, and I, I kind of wish we lived in a system like this, um, and you'll see why in a moment, but it, uh, chapter 25, um, and so this sets up uh, the idea of a Sabbath year. Uh, and the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, when you come into the land which I give you, then shall the land, the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. That which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed, for it is a year of rest unto the land. And the Sabbath of the land shall be meat for you, for thee and for thy servant and for thy maid and for thy hired servant and for thy stranger that sojourneth with thee and for thy cattle and for the beasts that are in thy land shall all the increase thereof be meat. 
Um, so, it, right, every seven years, you don't harvest your land and you don't plant. Uh, right, but you, you allow the land to rest. Um, I, I don't, I'm not, uh, I'm a confirmed city boy, um, so I do not know whether this is just good farming practice, like, like perhaps it's a good, uh, perhaps it would be a good practice. They certainly didn't have uh, artificial, uh, for all the stuff that gets sprayed on our food uh, and makes it, makes it grow and grow and grow and didn't understand the principles of genetic modification and all that stuff. Um, so maybe this was just good, good practice for farming. But there's a principle here too, right? Um, when you get to year six, year seven's going to be lean, right? Because <laughs> you can't go out. You're going to have to rely on God in year seven. Uh, and you're going to have to do some strategic planning uh, in years four, five, six, right? Leading up to the Sabbath year. Because if you can't collect or if you can't, uh, if you can't harvest or plant, you, you, you know, the, the, these are subsistence farmers. They don't have a lot of food to begin in a good year. Um, so they really have to depend on, it's, it's a way of saying, you must depend on me every seven years um, in this, this really fundamental way. Um, okay, so let's continue. Uh, and thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And ye shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you. And ye shall return every man unto his possession. And ye shall return every man unto his family. A jubilee... Uh, shall that fiftieth year be unto you. You shall not sow, neither reap that which groweth of itself in it, nor gather the grapes in it of thy, uh, thy vine undressed. So do all the other things that you would do during any other Sabbath year. For it is the jubilee. It shall be holy unto you. You shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. In the year of this jubilee, you shall return every man unto his possession. And if thou sell aught unto thy neighbor or buyest aught of thy neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after the Jubilee, thou shalt buy of thy neighbor, and according unto the number of years of the fruits, he shall sell unto thee. According to the multitude of years, thou shalt increase the price thereof, and according to the fewness of years, thou shalt diminish the price of it. For according to the number of the years of the fruits, doth he sell unto thee. You shall not therefore oppress one another, for thou shalt fear thy God, for I am the Lord your God. Um, so, what's going on here? And we'll we'll read a little bit more, but... Um, let's say I own a piece of land, right? And I, I really need cash. I owe, I owe David Steger money. And he's a tough guy. He breaks legs. Uh, he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's a real, real tough guy. Uh, and Bill's my neighbor. Um, and Bill, Bill agrees to buy my land so that he can farm it. And I say, okay, Bill, I will sell you my land. Well, Every 50th year, right, every jubilee year, all of the land goes back to whoever, whatever family it started out with. So if, if we're in the 48th year, Bill's going to say, well, I'm only going to get two years, I'm only going to get a year of, of use out of it. So I'll give you, I, I will give you very little money for it. If we just had a jubilee year, 
Bill's going to say, uh, well, or I will say, you, you get 40, your family gets 49 years of use out of this land. So you, you need to give me more money for it, right? You need to, to think about the, the value of the crops that you'll obtain from it over the course of 49 years. So that, that's what this passage is saying. Like you should value the land and anything that you sell or buy based on the fact that it's going to go back in 50 years to whoever, uh, to have, whoever sold it to you. So let's go to 18. Wherefore, ye shall do my statutes and keep my judgments and do them, and ye shall dwell in the land in safety. And the land shall yield their fruit, and ye shall eat your fill and dwell therein in safety. And if ye shall say, what shall we eat the seventh year? Right, that's the natural question when you're looking at the, the Sabbath year concept is, well, I mean, that sounds great, but what ha- I'm, what am, I'm just gonna eat grass the seventh year or dirt or what? Like, God, help me out. Help me understand this. Behold, we shall not sow nor gather in our increase. Then I will command my blessings upon you in the sixth year, and it shall bring forth fruit for three years. So he says, if you believe, right, and you do what I say, in the sixth year, I will bless you like you wouldn't believe. You'll grow, you'll grow, you'll grow crops for three years, not just two. Uh, and you shall sow the eighth year and eat yet of old fruit until the ninth year. Until her, store, her fruits come in, you shall eat of the old store. The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession, ye shall grant a redemption for the land. If thy brother be waxen poor and has sold away some of his possession, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. And if the man have none to redeem it, and himself be able to redeem it, then let him count the years of the sale thereof and restore the overplus unto the man to whom he sold it. Right? This is a way of, again, keeping land within the family. So I'm afraid of David. I sold my land to, uh, uh, to Bill. Uh, Tony's my brother-in-law. He's not in real life. But if he was, I would be proud. But if he was, uh, he could come to Bill and say, Look, John sold you that land because he's, you know, he, he needed that money. But I'm going to redeem it from you, and he would, he would have to take your economic interests into account um, when he was doing that because you paid me for the land, right? So it sets up this system where there's this right to redeem the land even before the jubilee year um, within families. Um, verse 29, and if a man sell a dwelling house in a walled city, then he may redeem it within a whole year after it is sold. Within a full year may he redeem it. And if it be not redeemed within the space of a full year, then the house that is in the walled city shall be established forever to him that bought it throughout his generations. It shall not go out in the jubilee. I don't know why there's that difference between something in a walled city and land, but there we are. Um, But the house, okay, and I won't, uh, let's go down to, sorry, verse 35. And if thy brother be waxen poor and fallen in decay with thee, then thou shalt relieve him. Yea, though he be a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with thee. Take thou no usury of him or increase, so don't, don't charge him interest. But fear thy God that thy brother, that thy brother may live with thee. Thou shalt not give him thy money upon usury. So again, don't charge interest. Nor lend him thy victuals for increase. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. And if thy brother that dwelleth by thee be waxen poor and be sold unto thee, thou shalt not compel him to serve as a bondservant, but as an hired servant. 
uh, and as a sojourner, he shall be with thee. So don't make him be a slave. Uh, and shall serve thee unto the year of Jubilee. And then shall he depart from thee, both he and his children with him, and shall return unto his own family, and unto the possession of his fathers shall he return. For they are my servants, which I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as bondmen. Thou shalt not rule over them with rigor, but, but shall fear thy God. Uh, and we'll stop there. But um, notice that the core principle here is that everything belongs to God. Right, that's, that's what we learn from this, is that everything belongs to God and it's given to you on loan. And after 50 years, you return it. You are only a steward. Um, anytime, uh, well, and it, it also speaks to taking care of the land, right? That idea of letting it lie fallow every seven years says that we have an obligation um, or that the children of Israel had an obligation to, to not just use the land uh, in a, uh, in an exploitative way, right? That the, the, the land itself received a Sabbath. I, I think we don't talk about um, we don't talk about conservation or stewardship m- much in mainline evangelical slash Baptist churches because it's kind of a, right. Environmentalism is kind of a, a leftist social or political cause, so we don't think about it a lot, but. Um, we know from Romans 8, right, our brother Paul tells us that uh, uh, the entire creation trembles uh, with expectation uh, at the arrival of the sons of God, right? If in some way, uh, when, when we are redeemed, nature will be redeemed. Yeah, some, somehow, the earth will participate with us in that redemption. And so if that's true... Like we have an obligation to follow God's command and treat the earth as if it were a sacred thing. Uh, and we don't think about that a lot, I think, but it's, it's true. Um, that's a biblical principle. Um, and it's given to us in trust. Anytime uh, I talk to somebody about... Um, oh, actually... Well, let me, let, me, let me go talk about point D real quick, and then we'll talk about C. Um, the... Uh, uh, anytime somebody talks about stewardship, or I hear that term, I always think of um, the Lord of the Rings. Um, and that there's, this is weird, but I'm getting there. Um, we are um, made in God's image, right? We are his, his emissaries on earth um, and his, his stewards, right? He has put us in charge of the planet, uh, and given us certain duties. Um, and I think, so uh, those of you who've, surely everyone's either read The Lord of the Rings or seen the, the movie, but if you haven't, please follow along. Uh, that There is a uh, part of the films and part of the books that's uh, one of the conceits is that there's a nation called Gondor, and its line of kings uh, is living in exile. They went away a thousand years before the book, before the what the period that the books cover, uh, and they live a far way away, and they're adventurers, and they uh, they protect the world from uh, uh, from evil. Uh, and in their place, they put a line of stewards, uh, and one of those stewards is, is a guy named Denethor, and he's a, a really tragic character in the book. Um, in the movie, not so much, but. Uh, he is bemoaning the fact that he is only a steward 
and he says, uh, how, how many years does it take before a steward becomes a king? And nobody answers him in the book, but the answer is never, right? The, king belong, the kingdom belongs to the king, right? If everything belongs to the king, it never belongs to the steward. It's only given to him in trust to take care of. Uh, and when we think of our, our role that way with everything that we have, um, it becomes very clear, right? If it belongs to God, um, you'll have much less attachment to it. Uh, than you did before. And I, I, we're not going to read Second Chronicles, um, but I would encourage you to go there. Well, no, that's very short. Let's do that. Um, so you, you may say, did they ever honor the Sabbath, uh, the Sabbath year concept? And the answer is probably not. Um, I won't turn to it. So this is describing uh, the, the destruction of, of Jerusalem and the carrying away of the children of Israel. And it says, them that had escaped from the sword carried he away, uh, he is the king of Babylon, to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the, mouths of, by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. So in Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, we're going to be in captivity for 70 years. Um, and that's, that's how long they were, threescore and 70 years. That is one year for every Sabbath year that they did not, uh, that they did not uh, observe. And I, you, know, you can understand why they wouldn't observe the Sabbath year, right? It's hard to trust in the sixth year that you're going to get three years of increase. Um, and if I'm out you know, and I see Bill's over in his land and he's planting barley, um, and I, I didn't, and suddenly Bill's a, a billionaire because he cornered the barley market, I'll get all resentful, right? And in year six of the next cycle, I'll be like, well, nothing happened to him. Um, I'm going to plant, I'm gonna plant some barley. Um, and, you know, you can see how just through accretion of time, uh, they would uh, ignore the regulation. So for 490 years, they did not keep it. That is from the time of the judges. Uh, so there, there was no king who ever observed... Uh, whoever observed the Sabbath year concept ever. And so what can we learn from Leviticus? Uh, and I, I'm going to run about two minutes over, so I apologize. One, uh, there's a huge focus on the holiness of God. The holiness of God is absolute, um, and he requires us to be holy, right? Set apart and dedicated to him. Number two is the nature of sacred space. We talked about this a lot, but... Um, the closer you get to God, right, uh, sort of in the, uh, um, the Old Testament, it's expressed through the tabernacle and then the temple, right? There's, there's a place where you meet God. But we know from Jeremiah and from Jesus and from the book of Hebrews, right, that we are the place where heaven touches earth now, right, in our hearts, is where, where God, where, where we commune with God, right? Jeremiah said, there was an old law, but I'm going to inscribe a new law on your hearts, right? You used to have to go to the temple. Um, you used to have to go to the tabernacle. Now it's inscribed on your heart. Um, see, uh, the position of Israel uh, and of the church. Uh, so Israel is called here 
to be different than the people around it, right? It's a difference that the people around it should see. Uh, And it's a, a difference that they should see and understand because God said specifically, don't be like them, right? Have different thoughts, have different interests, have different... Uh, different directions, different, uh, a different mode of life than the people around you. And if you do that, they will see that and they will know. Um, now, are we to be different in the same way that the Israelites were different? No. Uh, I, it would be impossible, right? We, we don't have the same kind of regulations around worship. I, I'm wearing, I'm sure, eight different types of fabric. I don't know how clothes are made. Um, I'm wearing, you know, I, I don't keep kosher. I, you know, I, I love cheeseburgers and bacon, and, you know, you, you can't do all the stuff that they have uh, in Leviticus, and we're not called to, right? God had them in a specific place at a specific time, setting them up specifically as enemies of a, a certain group of people. Uh, and so he's, he's giving them specific instructions, uh, and then finally, I think this is really the most important one. Uh, I call it the saturation of sanctification. Um, we are called, uh, what I find when I read this book um, is God saying to the children of Israel, number one, there are specific ways you need to worship me, right? When you approach me, when you, um, when you come to me in prayer, when you think about me, there are certain ways that you need to do that. That's number one. And it's it's very serious, right? We, we read in here how people died when they did it wrong. So it's extremely serious. Uh, number two, uh, he then says that your whole way of life, right? Everything that you do, um, whether it's um, who you marry and have children with, whether it's what you eat, whether it's what you wear, whether it's who you uh, communicate with and how you communicate with them, whether it is... Um, how you raise your children, right? Every, there's not an aspect or, or part of life that is not governed by the idea that you should be holy and sanctified, um, right? Every part of your life, from birth to death, should, should it, your, if you have truly encountered God, if you've truly encountered God, everything should be different from that time on. Uh, and that, that's a principle that applies not just to the, the Israelites, right, but to us as well. If you've encountered Jesus, it, it should impact the way that you live and think and work and raise your family. It, it, it just should. Um, and we, we see that, I think, or in our society and our, our current culture in, here in the West, we have this idea that um, we are many different selves, right? The, the me that you get here is very different than the me that you get at home uh, or the me that you get at work, uh, or, right? Uh, and we have this idea that we can, keep, um, we can keep our sort of religious life or our, our Christian life separate from what we do out there in the world. Right? We just have this idea that we are many selves. This is a rebuke to that idea. You are one self, and that one self is dedicated and set apart for Jesus, or for God. And if it's not, that's problematic. Um, it should color everything that you do.
that's, it's going to be very hard. It's going to require some sacrifices. It's difficult. Holiness is difficult, as I said at the beginning of this. Right? It's, it's hard to be different from the culture because people are like, hey, that's weird. Uh, but that's okay.